Happy anniversary, beloved nerds. We have the perfect gift for you. Dave and I are handing out our awards for the best things in the nerd world from this past year. The inaugural celebration of the nerdies starts now. Welcome into a very fancy, very elegant affair. The very first nerdies. Dave and I are here to award our picks for the best things to emerge from nerd realm this past year. Now, a lot of shows may do this in December, but this felt like the right way for us to celebrate a year's worth of episodes with you, our listeners. Dave, can you believe that it's been an entire year, 52 episodes? I can't believe it's not been an entire 10 years considering, you know, what this year has been like with the pandemic <laughs> and everything. But I will say this, uh, it is a point of pride, I think, to me, how well uh, you and I work together, Chris, and really that we've been able to, you know, start a podcast from scratch and then produce 52 weekly episodes on time, always hitting our schedule, always hitting our mark, never missing an episode, never having to take a hiatus and just pressing forward like a couple of pros. So I'm, I'm incredibly proud of this show and what we've accomplished over the first year. And I cannot wait to see what we do with year two. And and in the midst of a pandemic now, like, yes, we were home for most of it, but but there that doesn't mean that there weren't hiccups along the way. There are lots of times that Dave was editing at like 1130 on a Sunday night to get it ready to go Monday morning. Uh, there were some days that we didn't even get to decide on what our episode was going to be until Friday. So we we did it. So I'm I'm very excited to see where we go in the future and I'm very, very proud of that. That that we came in and, and we made a commitment. We absolutely did it. So we don't necessarily have the resources for this episode to put on uh as elaborate of a celebration as perhaps our Krakoan brethren with the Hellfire Gala. Uh but give us a few years and we'll round up a few sponsors and then watch out, Emma. We're coming for the crown, darling. <laughs> but I like to think I like to think that one of the best features of what we do here on the Byword is our consistency. And that means that nerd news must precede our award ceremony. Uh, just think of it as our version of the red carpet interviews before the real show begins. Dave, is that a little excess testosterone I smell in the air? It just got really manly in here all of a sudden. Did it get he-manly? Because that's <laughs> not just a little excess testosterone. I brought a couple of barrels of it. Dude, <laughs> the Masters of the Universe are back. Kevin Smith is producing a Masters of the Universe series called Masters of the Universe Revelations for Netflix. And the series recently showed off its first stills. And I am so psyched about this man. So Smith said in a statement, Our show is set up as the next episode in the legacy 80s animated series that aired from 1983 to 1985. This is a continuation of that story. We're playing with the original mythology and characters and revisiting and digging deeper into some of the unresolved storylines. Visually, we also made the conscious decision to lean into the Masters of the Universe line of toys for inspiration as well. Look, dude, I love that original series, no matter how poorly some of it has aged, particularly the animation. 
I adore the entire Masters of the Universe franchise. I even totally embraced the reboot and reinvention of She-Ra that recently aired on Netflix. I thought it was a fantastic series and a really interesting direction to take that character. But there is something deeply, deeply special to me about the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe show and the idea of just literally picking up that show and continuing it instead of reimagining or rebooting it. That is such a novel approach these days. Everything has to be rebooted and, and reimagined. So picking up where we left off in 1985, dude, that, that is incredible. Now, design-wise, there are some clear differences, but it seems very much in the spirit of the original show. And then there's a fantastic voice cast that includes Mark freaking Hamill as Skeletor. I mean, just take my money already, Netflix. (laughs) I feel like this whole project was designed to tickle my nostalgia bone. I cannot wait for it to drop. It's supposed to premiere on July 23rd, and it cannot get here fast enough, Chris. So... As I've previously mentioned, uh, I was born in 88, so this completely missed me. Um, you know, and growing up, I had I had friends who were older, um, who who were huge fans of it, um, and I always felt like it was a party that I missed out on. Like I didn't get an invite or something, and I was just kind of left outside in the cold. So um, I'm very, very intrigued by the fact that it picks up where it left off. I think that's a really novel idea, like you said, in in today's world of reboots and you know going back before and all this stuff. And and one of the things that it, it's it's really starting to wear on me, uh, particularly in nerd media, is never going forward with anything. Uh, we've talked about this extensively with Star Wars. Um, I want to really dig the Bad Batch um, in the way that I did Clone Wars and Rebels, but I think that I've I've reached my limit of playing in the same kind of timeline. Even The Mandalorian, as great as it is, that's one of the things that keeps it from being over the top to me is it's just the same kind of stuff. It's like the missions that you didn't get to see in the original films um, and, and we're just kind of still playing with the same toys. I want something new. Uh, and I've used this quote before, but it just really sticks with me. Uh, you know, from Luke Cage is always forward, never backward. Like I, I like progress. I like new things and, and going forward. And I like how this kind of embraces both the nostalgia and the newness of it. Um, I thought that the stills that we were given were absolutely gorgeous to the point where I'm like, okay, who's got it streaming the old stuff? Because I want to, I want to hit the ground running in July. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to binge all of this uh, in time. Um, But I'm super excited for this and I, I, I'm ready to crash this party. Dude, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't know if you should really binge all this, maybe watch a couple episodes to get the effect and then read the rest on, on the internet. Because I'm not kidding when I say some of this hasn't aged very well. Particularly, I think, the animation. There's a lot of, you know, reused assets, you know, constantly the same sort of animations with just backgrounds swapped out and the like. It's the kind of stuff that you don't really notice as a kid, but as an adult, it sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, there's there's a huge sort of you know, Conan the Barbarian in space charm to this whole thing. But at the same time, it, it's very much a product, product of its time, which again is why I'm so psyched for, for this show, because bringing more modern sensibilities and modern animation to this concept, dude, I think it's going to rock it. 
I, I also am super excited and I can't believe I haven't checked it out yet, but I've heard nothing but glowing reviews of the, of the Shira program as well. Um, and if memory serves, didn't uh, Brian Q. Miller tell us that he was working on another series for Netflix? That is correct. And this one has uh, released a promotional poster so far. And I think it's it's sort of CG animated and it is uh, a reboot, uh, a reimagining of Masters of the Universe. So there are literally two different Netflix projects. This one, which is a continuation of the original, and then the one Brian Q. Miller is working on, which is a, a reimagining and reboot. Now, not to tip our hand too much, uh of you know future discussion points but every time that i sit and look at at my netflix subscription as it continues to rise and i'm like why am i even here you lost the uh contract with the office to peacock um and you know you cancel shows that that do well you know well before they should be and then they come out with something like this and we're like oh yeah this is why i still have a netflix subscription yeah, I mean, they do uh, really good original content occasionally. And, and when they do, they knock it out of the park. I think, you know, the the sin of letting Mystery Science Theater 3000 go is, is almost unforgivable. But then, you know, they bring me back with Masters of the Universe. So I, I you know, I'm still there. They, they're still getting my money. There might come a point when they don't. But as of right now, there's still lots of stuff to love on Netflix, Chris. Well, that is one of the nerd commendations that you gave to me. Before we ever even thought about making this show, that has been nearest and dearest to my heart. And I am eternally grateful for Mystery Science Theater 3000, of which I am a proud backer uh, on Kickstarter of, of that crowdfunding. So I am super excited to dive right back into the Gizmoplex. Now, Chris, uh, should I be bringing a gun to a knife fight right now? Or what's going on <laughs> with your nerd news here? Oh, man. So this may not fall precisely under the umbrella of nerd media, but I'm going to color outside the lines because it does feature a lot of familiar faces uh, for nerds, including Ryan Johnson, who directed the second greatest Star Wars film ever. Um, a few months back, it was reported that Johnson, alongside producer Ron Bergman and actor Daniel Craig, yes, that Daniel Craig, sealed a record-breaking deal with Netflix to produce two sequels, uh, to the 2019 smash hit Knives Out, a film that completely blew me away and immediately now stands as one of my all-time favorites. Um, this week, we received a plethora of casting news for the upcoming film, including a lot of faces that will be familiar to fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Dave Batista, the former professional wrestler who portrays Drax the Destroyer in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, was announced to be joining the film this past Monday. That news was followed subsequently by more big names later on. Edward Norton, the former Incredible Hulk. Janelle Monet, who does not have an MCU tie, but is an incredibly talented musician and actor, and I'm excited to see her involved as well. And Agatha herself, Catherine Hahn. Needless to say, I could not be more excited for this film. The first one featured many breathtaking acting performances, particularly from lead actress Ana de Armas, Captain America gone spoiled rich boy wearing a sweater, Chris Evans, uh, and Daniel Craig, who traded in his 007 credentials for one of the most captivating portrayals that I've ever seen on screen in Detective Benoit Blanc. The way that he even nails the southern Cajun Bayou accent is just mind-blowing. I'm particularly excited to see the news regarding Han's addition to the cast. I feel that she is truly an underappreciated master of the craft, 
pun fully intended. Uh, not only was she magnificent in WandaVision, but she was an incredible Doc Ock in Into the Spider-Verse. And I still ride or die for Step Brothers. And she gave us one of the best, greatest comedic supporting roles as Alice in that flick. So I am super, super excited. I love detective shows, detective flicks. Uh, uh, Who Done It uh, and Knives Out was just incredible. And, you know, speaking of Netflix, here we go. They really, they broke the bank and they secured my subscription for years to come. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I feel awful for saying this, but I still have not seen Knives Out. The movie looks like a blast, and all the reasons that you've given for why it should be up in your wheelhouse, it's why it should be in my wheelhouse, too. I love detective stories. I'm, I'm probably, you know, one of the biggest fans of the old show Columbo uh, that you'll probably ever meet, especially considering my age. Uh, I'm not really uh, in the age group to have fallen in love with Columbo and Peter Falk's performance as strongly as I did, but, but you know, I did. So this should be right up my alley. Um and the, the cast is fantastic in this. And I'm I'm really g- glad to see the movies getting a sequel. I really need to get with the program and just sit down and watch this movie already, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I know that that, you know, is a silly statement for me to say about Ryan Johnson, but we'll get there in a couple weeks. Um, and it's really interesting for me. And it was it was refreshing for me to be able to see him have a complete vision for a film and not have any kind of other hands in the cookie jar. So I I really did appreciate that. And like I said, the the cast is just out of this world. I didn't even mention like Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, uh, Christopher Plummer in one of his final performances. Uh, It's just out of this world, just incredible. But uh, just one more question. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a huge Columbo fan here as well. (laughs) All right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. And now the moment that you all have been waiting for a year in the making. When we return from our first break, we're going to be handing out our nerdies, our awards for the best in nerddom. Stick around. G'day. How's it going? Nice to meet you. I'm Stu. I'm Chris. I'm Dave. And we're the Pool Boys. We're the hosts of Pool Boys Recommend. Recommend. It's a podcast where we suggest stuff to each other. We do it and then we review it. You remember like show and tell at school? It's kind of like that, but this week I had a mental breakdown. (laughs) You're a music lover, Stu, okay? I am, yes. What is this going to be? And so I want you to listen to B-52's seminal classic Love Shack. 100 times. Uh, One. Oh my God. You know, it's just when you're going to sleep, when you're having a shower. 100 times. You can start playing it now, maybe. Oh my God. You, you have you're only yourself to blame. If next episode I come back on the air and I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? Here's another cheeky little clip for you. Oh, this podcast is great. That was a dramatization of you enjoying the podcast in the future. When you check out Pool, Pool Boys Recommend. Recommend. Find us on Spotify and Stitcher and Google Apple Podcasts, Podcasts and even our own website. You know where to get podcasts. Come yeah, on. Come on. You're listening to one now. All 
right, welcome back to a very special Byword Big Talk. This is the first annual Nerdies. Yes, that's a riff off of the Dundies. I'm always going to sneak in an office reference whenever I can. The more not-so-subtle hints that Dave needs to start watching the U.S. version, uh, the better. Uh, so we have our own categories that we've established. They are Best Ongoing Comic Series, Best Back Issue Discovery. We've had a lot of extra time to read comic books. Best Indie Creation, we wanted to show some love to, you know, things that came out that were not Marvel or DC. Uh, the Little Comic That Could, the idea behind this is it's a title that is just starting out or it's not getting a whole lot of love and we really are rooting for this one to be successful. Game of the Year, pretty much speaks for itself. Best in Shows, Best Nerd Flick, there weren't a lot, so I really struggled with this one. Best Actress, and that can be show or film, whatever. Best Actor, same scenario here. Best Streaming Content, um, Writer of the Year, comic-wise, and Artist of the Year, comic-wise. Now, that it could be uh, outside of comics, but that's usually where we're focused. And I do want to. I do want to point out, Chris, to our listeners: if uh, your favorite doesn't win one of our nerdies, please be aware that uh, our nerdy awards here are completely colored by our personal experience. If something that you really love doesn't get a nerdy, it may very well be that we just haven't consumed that particular media yet. So uh, when we're handing out these nerdies, this is not all encompassing. This comes directly from our own personal experiences. What are the things that we consumed over the last year? What did we interact with over the last year? Uh, it's it's not everything that was released since, frankly, we, we can't actually read, watch, and experience every single thing that's been released. And I think that's one of the the important things about uh, a segment like Nerd Commendations is just bringing to light so many things, you know, with, with so many forms of entertainment, whether it's television, streaming, you know, film, comics, literature, even graphic novels is a completely different category that I haven't really tapped into that much. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to miss. And so uh, we just posted on both our Instagram and our Twitter page, um, you know, a prep for this episode. So be sure to fire off in the comments uh, your nominations for these awards as well. So brings us back to our first category, the first ever nerdy awarded. Dave, what is your best ongoing comic series? <clears throat> and the nerdy goes to The Immortal Hulk. My nerdy for best ongoing series has to go to The Immortal Hulk. This series, written by Al Ewing and with art by uh, Joe Bennett, is absolutely fantastic. I cannot overstate how good this series is. Ewing goes places with the Hulk other writers never have. It's really exploring new territory, which is so difficult in superhero comics with you know characters that are as long in the tooth as someone like the Hulk. The horror vibes, the complex storytelling, the fantastic art. It's, it's just a total package, Chris. Now, the series will end later this year with issue number 50. And I, for one, am going to be incredibly sad to see it go. Now, I am not fully caught up to the series yet. But man, so far, as far as I've gotten into it, it is so fantastic. And it definitely deserves the nerdy. Yeah, I'm super excited to check this one out. Um... So my first exposure to Al Ewing's work 
um, was reading the the current ongoing that he's doing for Marvel Sword, which of course is in the X line of books. Um, and I, I just absolutely adore that. Um, you know, it's mutants in space. So it's like amazing. Um, it's, it's two of the things that I love just completely smooshed together. Um, and the way, particularly the issue number three, where he featured Eden Fessy manifold, uh, was just mind blowing. So I immediately fell in love with his work. Um, other friends have recommended it to me as well. So I'm, you know, at the precipice of starting a complete Al Ewing Marvel read through, uh, I'm right in the middle of one that is sure to be on my nerd commendation list very soon. His Mighty Avengers from 2014. Um, so I will be reading Immortal Hulk before you know it. And I'm super excited because I've heard nothing but rave reviews like yours. Yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. Now, Chris, best ongoing comic book series. Who gets the nerdy from you this year? My first nerdy will go to, surprise, surprise, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, currently written as of issue 101 uh, through current by Sophie Campbell with story consultation by Kevin Eastman himself and Tom Waltz with art by Sophie Campbell as well. Uh, in addition, Jody Nishijima, Rhonda Patterson with colors and art as well, and Nelson Daniel. Um, I feel like we have waxed poetic about this series so many times over the past year. Um, and I reached uh, a real uh, fork in the road with issue 100 as as Tom Waltz and, and Kevin Eastman kind of bowed out um, as the primary writers for the series. And um, I, I had a little bit of trepidation with Sophie Campbell coming on. I, I had not experienced any of her work prior, um, so I wasn't familiar with uh, her work. But I could not be happier. Uh, in fact, this might be a bold statement. I think it's even better than the first 100 issues. It's taking it in a new direction. Um, the entire concept of Mutant Town and this entire you know, neighborhood of Manhattan being completely just kind of quarantined and encapsulated with all those individuals being turned into mutants and seeing those different animals come to life. Um, it's fascinating. There's like group therapy sessions of people pining after what their life used to be. And like their parents will no longer have contact with them because they're mutants now. The character of Jenica is just absolutely fascinating. I can't wait to check out um, her two uh, miniseries, Jenica 1 and 2. Um, it's just like it breathes new life into these characters. You talk about, you know, Hulk. The the, the turtles aren't quite there uh, as far as longevity as the Hulk. But like, it, I, I really have such a respect for people who can come into a, like an, an IP, if you will, uh, that that has been around so long and and they just keep it interesting and keep it new and refreshing like i said before always forward and i i just every issue that comes out is just i have to grab it immediately and run it so uh and read it so i i, I absolutely adore this ongoing series it is probably one of the best reading experiences i've had in comics and it is absolutely deserving of my uh nerdy now, see, I can wholeheartedly echo that. And now I, I will freely admit that I have not uh, gotten to the um, issue 100 mark yet in my read through of the series. So I have not experienced a change over in the creative team. However, 
Um, I think the IDW series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is probably the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. I mean, but between, you know, the cartoons and movies and all the various interpretations that are out there, I find that this series has sort of synthesized all the best things of the various interpretations and put them into a, a singular product, a single storyline. And for that, I absolutely adore the series. So um, I, I love it. And I, I wholeheartedly second your nerdy for that, Chris. And and I will just say, I, I it's sold out on the IDW website as far as print, but the, the A cover for issue 101 with the black background and all of them just standing there. I mean, it's just one of the most gorgeous covers I've seen. It's the wallpaper on my phone right now. So I, I, again, I I could not be happier. It's one of the the most fun and, and rewarding experiences I've had as a nerd. Now, Dave, your second nerdy, our category is best back issue discovery. You know, we had a lot of time uh, at home to discover new comics and, and with the, you know, the new DC universe infinite uh, with Marvel unlimited with comiXology unlimited with the digital libraries at our disposal. What did you discover? Well, I'm going to be completely honest. I discovered nothing from any digital libraries. I went to my own library of back issues in my basement and discovered something that I hadn't spent a whole lot of time reading. So my nerdy goes to, Witchblade Tomb Raider number one. So I'm actually working on a series of articles for my website, that nerddave.com, subtle plug. Um, and these the, these articles are basically dealing with uh, the Tomb Raider character and uh, the history of that character in the comic books. I, I titled it Tomb Raider Thursday, since articles generally release like every couple of weeks on Thursdays. And in the course of my research, I came across a book that totally holds up. Uh, by modern standards. It was super enjoyable. It's probably my favorite back issue I've uh, read recently. So I think, yeah, it totally deserves a nerdy. So Lara uh, Croft was introduced to the comics world in a series of three one-shot crossovers with Witchblade. And the best of the bunch by far is the second one. Uh, The one-shot was co-written by Michael Turner and Bill O'Neill. Turner uh, returned to pencil duty from the first crossover. Uh, it also featured Joe Weems and Jason Corder on inks and Jonathan D. Smith on colors. Uh, rounding out the creative team was Dennis Heisler to uh, letter the book. So Sarah Pizzini, the Witchblade, receives an invite from Laura Croft to vacation in London. Upon arriving, she's immediately mixed up in one of Laura Croft's adventures. There's a wealthy perfumer <laughs> yeah, uh, who steals an artifact, the Idol of Bastet, from Lara in hopes of gaining power. Instead, she accidentally summons the Egyptian goddess herself, leaving Lara and Sarah to fight against this ancient force. The book features great action, fun banter, uh, fantastic art by the late great uh, Michael Turner himself. It surpasses the first crossover as well as the third and final one, which was sort of weak sauce in my book. So um, ultimately, as far as back issues go, this felt really like sort of a supernatural tinged buddy cop uh, story, uh, right? With the fun banter and the, and the strong action. And it's just a great single issue story. Uh, that resolves itself very nicely by the last page. And that's sort of a lost art to me anyways, being able to tell a complete story in a single issue. So for that alone, uh, gre- just a great, great, great back issue, totally deserving of a nerdy, Chris. 
I think this is probably the most on brand for for you, Dave. This is this was the least surprising award, even though I know this comic did not. I I did not know this comic existed. Like that is a very much a Dave type of of interest. Two strong (laughs) female, two strong female leads. You know, it, it sounds it sounds so cool and it sounds uh, like a like a rip roaring good time. I I will say that you immediately perked my ears up when you said the goddess bust um, bustet in in Egypt. But you know, as a huge Black Panther fan, I know all about that goddess, and so I am definitely going to be checking this one out. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, dude. It really is. All right, so back issues, Chris. Who gets the nerdy for you? Uh, well, this has been a previous nerd commendation, and we also are repeat offenders when it comes to praising Tom Taylor. Um, but X-Men Red, I discovered this past year upon many recommendations by my fellow mutant friends, um, and it did not disappoint. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite X-Men reads of all time. It's just beautiful. It's inspirational. It's hopeful. Um Taylor, once again, just absolutely nails and understands the characters that he's working with. Um, And Mahmoud Asrar does the art, and he's one of my absolute favorites. Um, I believe it's issue number three that has Nightcrawler, my personal favorite on the cover, with the beard. It's just glorious. Um, But I, I love this series so much, and it really... Did um did something that not a lot of X Men comics do, unfortunately, and it really gave Jean some agency. She is not, you know, included with Scott Summers, Cyclops at all in this book. She really gets time to breathe and have, you know, some individuality and some agency in her character um, that is not completely intertwined with with Scott or the Phoenix Force or or Emma Frost or anything like that. So it was a breath of fresh air and one of my favorite X-Men stories that I've ever read. So X-Men Red gets my nerdy for best back issue discovery. Not not to to give our listeners a sense of deja vu, but Chris, this might be the most you on brand uh, nerdy <laughs> award of all the awards that are on the list. So here, naturally, is an X Men book, um, which you know I know you've you've been kind of pushing really hard to get me more into the X Men, and I had an enjoyable experience with um, uh, Whedon's run on Astonishing, and I'm really enjoying reading uh, Grant Morrison's run on New X Men as well. So uh, yeah, I think I'm totally going to give this a try. I have not done that yet. But uh, you keep singing the praises of this book. Uh, maybe uh, you you end up giving me this one for homework at some point. I don't know, but I think I think I'm going to make my way to it eventually, Chris. Well, if if anything else, it is only eleven issues, so it's compared to our twenty five typical assignments. That would be light work. I I don't mind the occasional light work. <laughs> All right, Dave, we are stepping away from the big two for a bit. What is the best indie creation for you of the past year? So when we talk indie creations, there's obviously a lot of different levels we can go to. I decided to interpret indie uh, basically as not DC or Marvel. Um, and so I settled on a book from Boom Studios that I've previously a nerd commended that totally deserves a nerdy. <clears throat> and the nerdy goes to Something is Killing the Children. Now, I've sung the praises of this book before, and although it's on a short break right now, it is one of my favorite indie creations. I'm talking, uh, of course, about the awesome book by 
James Tinian IV, and art by Werther de Ladera. This is the stuff, guys. If you like horror, this is the book to read. Uh, from the official description, when the children of Archer's Peak begin to go missing, everything seems hopeless. Most children never return, but the ones that do have terrible stories, impossible stories of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope of finding and eliminating the threat is the arrival of a mysterious stranger, one who believes the children and claims to see what they can see. Her name is Erica Slaughter. She kills monsters. That is all she does, and she bears the cost because it must be done. The book totally managed to capture my imagination. I uh, I read these sort of, you know, trying to get caught up and, and went through like 13 issues in a single sitting. Um, I love horror. Uh, and, and it's done perfectly here. If any book deserves a nerdy this year, it's definitely something is killing the children. It was even originally announced to be um, a limited series and then was actually upgraded to ongoing. So um, I can't wait for the brief hiatus to be over and this book to come back with its second big uh, major storyline, Chris. Can we just talk about how, how Boom Studios is knocking it out of the park? comic wise and that and i'm not i'm just saying that because we've had the pleasure of having ross ritchie the ceo and founder of the company on this show i really enjoy uh, and i'm really excited about all the content that they're cranking out right now um i nerd commended eve which absolutely just captivated me and enraptured me last week um something is killing the children has been definitely on my radar um, I've heard great things about it. Uh, our, our Instagram community just raves about it. Our, our, our friends on Instagram. Um, it's a really, really hot book, you know, as far as sales go. Um, in addition, you've got uh, uh, Grant Morrison has released a book there as well that I picked up the first two issues for and haven't read yet, but it's on my to read pile. Tom Taylor's got a book there. So it's really interesting to see these creators um, that, that we've seen their work at the big two, uh, James Tinian, uh, another is a big one at DC, but, you know, has that Liberty at, at boom studios to kind of create their own story. So it's just cool to kind of have the best of both worlds. You get stories from Marvel and DC about the characters you love by very talented creators, but then they get to kind of step outside the box and, and build their own world with these books at boom. And it's just fascinating to see develop and super exciting as a reader. Yeah, Boom has definitely been knocking out of the park. Uh, one of my favorite publishers right now, constantly trying new things, experimenting. Uh, it, it's really the publisher uh, right now to keep uh, probably the closest eye on for the kind of stuff they're producing. Uh, Saladin Ahmed's Abbott 1973 is another one that I want to check out. You know, we love good detective stuff and, and that seems right up my alley. Absolutely, man. All right. Best indie creation, Chris. Can't wait to hear this one. Oh, man. Well, we've had the great pleasure of having uh, writer Stephanie Williams on this show and her book, Living Heroes. I cheated a little bit. It's still an indie creation, features Marvel characters, but it features Marvel characters in the world, in the uh, lens, if you will, of Living Single, which is a show that I grew up watching. Um, a lot of actresses that I had major crushes on as a kid, if I'm being honest. Um, but then they like take these, you know, these uh, Marvel heroes uh, that I adore as well, namely Storm, Misty Knight, um, She-Hulk, and they. What happens if they all live in the same apartment? Um, uh, Monica Rambo, uh, who has really caught on fire this year thanks to WandaVision, some some much needed light pun intended has been shed upon that 
wonderful character. Uh, so Stephanie Williams is the writer on that. Um, Aaron O'Neill Jones does amazing artwork. It's really fun, kind of cartoony type thing. This is kind of stepping outside the box of the of the webcomic that the two of them collaborated on. Um, but what if though? And it's just a really fun kind of little book. If you can get the physical copy, I highly recommend it. It's like the size of a Jet magazine, um, you know, like a Reader's Digest. And it's just super fun. The art is snappy. The storylines, it's kind of like a little anthology, kind of just like a physical manifestation, kind of, you know, growth, outgrowth of of that webcomic. So it's just super fun and it just really features these wonderful characters that we love so much in a different fashion. And it's really, really fun. You know, uh, Stephanie Williams was one of my favorite uh, guests on the show. She was uh, so insightful and so interesting and I, and I can't wait to keep following her work and you've recommended this to me before. It's another thing that's kind of slipped past me so far and I've not had a chance to really check out, but just on, on just the strength of the conversations we had with her, it is definitely at the top of my list uh, of something that I would need to check out. I, I can totally see why something like this would deserve a nerdy, Chris. And, and you know, by the way, I'm just super excited and to follow her success. After our interview, you know, we spoke during that conversation about her feature in uh, Marvel Voices Legacy, which was a fantastic little story about Monica Rambeau. Um, you know, grocery shopping with Thor and She-Hulk, which is just delightful. Um, and now she has like even some more, you know, work that is yet to be revealed for Marvel. Um, and even I believe if correct me if I'm wrong, I believe she has some work coming up with a Wonder Woman story for DC. She's also kind of become kind of an authority figure when it comes to like television media with with shows like WandaVision um, and and Falcon and the Winter Soldiers, she's been featured on 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 shows like uh, or on channels like Nerdist and and really big things. So she's blown up, and it couldn't happen to a more awesome person. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, Dave. Our next award is going to be given to the little comic that could. This is one that's either just starting out or. You know, maybe not be doing so well in sales, but they really, really like what they're doing and we really want it to be successful. What is your little comic that could? So this is a comic that <clears throat> flies under the radar of a lot of people because A, it's at a publisher that a lot of people don't pay attention to, specifically Titan Comics. Um, B is based on a video game. Um, and and C was originally solicited to only be four issues long, but actually has slowly build, been building success and is still running right now. So my nerdy goes to Life is Strange. I'm a big fan of the Life, Life is Strange series of video games. They play, uh, as I've said before, a lot like a telltale game, story-based with an emphasis on player choice and consequences of those choices. The first game and its characters hold a really special place in my heart. Um, just the characters really sing, even though the dialogue is a little off occasionally and a little cringy and a little too hip. The characters rang so true um, that they they stuck with me, I think, long after I completed the story. Now, the Life is Strange games always you know, switch up. Each game is sort of a, a unique story. It doesn't follow the same characters, which is... Uh, a bit disappointing. So imagine my surprise then when I discovered that Titan Comics has been publishing a sequel comic book series to the first game. More amazingly, this Titan comic 
is just amazing. Written by Emma Viacelli and art by Claudia Leonardi, the book continues the story of Max Caulfield, who has the mysterious ability to rewind time, and, uh, of course, her best friend, and, depending on how you play the game, girlfriend, Chloe. Uh, With more time travel shenanigans, alternate realities, and truly emotional stakes, the book feels really like a worthy continuation of one of my all-time favorite video games. The fact that this book was originally treated almost as an afterthought and just keeps going, well, it's just really worthy of this nerdy, if you ask me, Chris. That's super fascinating. And I remember you talking about that in a news segment, the video game in particular, and it was just amazing to me. I love Telltale games. I love, you know, having that agency when I'm playing and and having the impact that the decisions and actions that you take actually mean something. So this is something I definitely want to check out. Yeah, it's the the first one in particular, man, is such a, such a fantastic game and the characters are so captivating. Um, and just the fact that I continue to be able to follow those characters in comic books is just, it's deeply special to me, Chris. All right, the little comic that could, Chris, what are you going for here? So my nerdy for the little comic that could is going to Children of the Atom, which is written by Vida, uh, Vida Ayala with art by Bernard Chang for issues one and two and Paco Medina in the most recent issue uh, three. Now this book has been delayed. It it was delayed for a full year uh, for one reason or another due to the pandemic or other developments with the X line of comics at Marvel. Um, But I'm I'm so glad that it exists. Um, And it, it basically follows these group of teenagers that um, really idolize the X-Men and mutants. And so they have crafted they are their uh, superhero personas as like a an homage to those characters. Like, for example, you have Daycrawler, you have uh, Cyclops Lass, you know, names like that, which is a little bit corny and a little bit goofy, but they're teenagers. What do you expect? Um, and what I really, really appreciate about this book is Vida Ayala themselves being a, a non-binary Afro-Latinx, you know, creator, um, really just brings this breath of fresh air and authenticity to their characters. Um, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, the John Rogers, you know, Blue Beetle for Jaime Reyes. But one of the things that left me kind of uncomfortable, um, even though it was very much a product of of its time coming out 15 years ago is the dialogue seemed kind of cardboard and staunchy. And it it seemed very much like a a straight white male writing about uh, an experience that was not his own and and it was respectful. It just kind of left me a little bit cold. Um, And I'm very, very much feeling the opposite here. Um, you know, with my background in the Spanish language and the experiences that I've had in Latinx culture, uh, Ayala really brings this breadth of authenticity down to the little Spanglish uh, isms, just the the little intricacies and the detail in the character work of what it means to be, you know, um, a Latinx kid growing up in New York and and just, you know, what that environment looks like, what it it's it's very much a reflection of, you know, 2021 uh, America for a kid, um, you know, complicated relationships, um, complicated orientations, 
Um, you have, you know, characters that, you know, have feelings for one another, but they're not sure if the other person does. So it's very much like, um, like a Degrassi or like, um, you know, like a, a teen drama, but on the pages of an X book. So it's been really fun to watch this finally develop. And, and I really hope that it continues to do well after all those unfortunate delays. I really hope they, they stick with this book. Um, my heart was broken that they just unceremoniously canceled X Factor, another book that I recommended. So I hope that um, Children of the Atom does not get the same treatment. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic book, Chris, and I definitely need to check this out. Um, Lots lots of mutant and X-Men related stuff gets thrown my way by you on the daily, but this this sounds like something deeply special and and definitely deserving of, of my time. You know, we love teenage protagonists that have a positive attitude. That's exactly right, man. <laughs> All right, Dave, we're switching gears. We're putting the books away for now. And we are going to the video game realm for our one award with video games. Dave, what is your game of the year? Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. This was tougher than I thought it was going to be, just for the fact that um, a lot of the games that I picked up this year for the first time um, are actually games that came out a couple of years ago. So trying to find something that literally falls in like the last 12 months of gaming um that that was tough it also doesn't help that i've been playing a lot less video games i've been a lot busier than i have in the past and so uh my list of options was a little narrow that being said i think i came across a really good one and that is final fantasy 7 remake i don't mind admitting freely that i absolutely adore jrpgs I'll also admit that I missed out on some of the all-time greats when I bet on the N64 back in the day over the PlayStation 1. I don't regret that decision. Thank you, Zelda Ocarina of Time. I do wish I would have had a chance to play fantastic JRPGs like Final Fantasy VII when they first released. I did revisit the game, and although I see totally why it uh, is held in such high esteem, I don't think it's always easy to revisit older games um, especially sort of in the early dawn of when 3D graphics started coming into, into play. Um, times change, video games are constantly evolving, and what was innovative and fun back then can feel a little stiff and distracting today. So taking a story as fantastic as that of Final Fantasy VII, and then repackaging it with cutting-edge graphics, expanding the story into new and unexpected directions, now that's a worthy remake, Chris. So this PlayStation 4 exclusive Final Fantasy VII Remake was an absolute pitch-perfect dream come true. Although I wish there was a little more turn-based action in the game, since it's one of my favorite JRPG features. The battle system here is still enjoyable, Uh, the game looks great, the story is captivating, the additions to the story are absolutely spot-on. In short, this is basically my favorite game that released within the last year, so um, nerdy granted. That's that's really refreshing to hear because I've um, we and we've talked about remakes. Are they are they worth it? You know what constitutes you know which ones you should or should not revisit the length of time. So it's really good to hear that there's a positive one because there are some that I've experienced myself. That why did you do this? Why did you take all these resources and all these efforts? Um, you know, in, in updating something that didn't really need it. So. Uh, I'm super excited to see that there's one that is worthwhile. 
Yeah, and this one totally is, and and different enough. I mean, it takes the core story, but it changes up the gameplay, the graphics, expands the story. This is how you do a remake properly. Uh, it's not a, it's not a retread. It is a true remake, uh, and that makes it pretty darn special. All right, Chris, nerdy for best video game. What you got? So I had quite the opposite experience. Um... I was fortunate enough to play quite a few video games over the past year. Um, So this was a slam dunk for me. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, shocker pick for me, you know, uh, the the simp that I am for the Assassin's Creed franchise. But this game in particular, I, with the last three entries with you have with Origins, with Odyssey, and now Valhalla, I absolutely love what they have done with this, I guess, like a soft reboot of the franchise. It's taking it in, in a much needed new direction um, away from Desmond Bishop uh, and, and like the present day type of things. So I think the graphics and and the, the scenic views that you experience throughout Norway uh, and Scandinavia into, you know, the British Isles. And now with the DLC that just got released, um, I'm in Ireland. It's just absolutely breathtaking. It's It's a game where you just have to hit the pause button or you do the cinematic view when you're riding your horse and it's just breathtaking. It's just absolutely beautiful. Not to mention the, the, the continued, you know, retooling of the fighting system is super fun down to like little features like, um, you know, in past games, like to regain health, you would, um, you know, just run away and hide and then your health would regenerate or you would have medicine or something like that. This is very on brand for a game that features Vikings you have rations and you will collect berries and you will collect, you know, meat from chickens. If you kill a sheep, it will give you meat and it will refill your rations. And that's how you regain health. You use up one of your rations. So it's just the, 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 the intricate details of this game are just immaculate. And uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for mythology and the way that they lean into that, you get to go to freaking Asgard and you, you are Odin and you interact with, Thor, and it's not just the MCU iteration. I love Chris Hemsworth. We were born on the same day. He's my twin brother. But, you know, seeing like a mythological version of Thor, not necessarily the Marvel iteration, you get to see Tyr and Loki um, in in a different, you know, reimagining. And, you know, it's just fascinating. And, And I love almost everything about this game and the fact that they continue to release um, new content the first dlc just just released so um it's a very much a worthy investment and a game that i absolutely adore yeah and it sounds absolutely great i've played a couple assassin's creed games um and i really like the direction that the series has been going since oh i think origins it was when yeah, they kind was of the, com- yeah, kind of reinvented the, the everything yep. yeah yeah that's good stuff man it has sort of that rpg vibe to it um that that really is is you know perfect for me i just haven't found the time to invest into this game yet but it is at the top of my list of something that i just absolutely need to try chris yeah i'm interested to see where they go because with these three um since the quote-unquote reboot they've tackled the three major pantheons of gods and mythologies that that westerners are familiar with with the egyptians with the greek uh greek gods and then, you know, now with the Norse gods. So I'm interested to see where they go from here. I'd like to see them, you know, scan the globe a little bit, kind of leave Europe and, and you know, the Mediterranean and, and kind of go to Asia somewhere, Africa. Like a game centered around 
example, you know, let's say Mansa Musa's, you know, Africa, I think would be fascinating. I totally agree with that. Now, the last thing I read uh, is that there was a rumor that the next one would be um, based in Japan and you would be playing as a samurai, which I think would be absolutely fascinating as well. So uh, here's hoping. Yeah, for sure. All right. We are now headed to TV shows or streaming shows. Dave, what is best in shows for you? So this this is something I think that is flying under a lot of people's radar. It's on the sci-fi channel, but uh, it's quality, um, which isn't always the case with, with the sci-fi channel these days, regrettably. What? Uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. They, they gave me Farscape, Chris, so I can never quite hate them completely. <laughs> All right, so uh, the nerdy ghost to Resident Alien. Uh, this one's based on a comic book, and it's uh, one of my favorite shows, a bit of a sleeper. Um, it, it absolutely uh, weird in every possible way, so naturally it's right up my alley. I think you can best describe it as a science fiction mystery comedy drama. Uh, I hope that's enough words. <laughs> the series stars Alan Tudyk, one of my absolute favorite actors, as an alien sent to wipe out humanity. He kills and takes on the identity of a pathology physician, and in his disguise he becomes a part of a small town community and wrestles with this moral dilemma of a secret mission should he really wipe out humanity they're kind of growing on him a little bit and then of course there's a nine-year-old boy who can see him as an alien can see through his disguise and he's constantly in conflict with this nine-year-old which is absolutely hilarious this show is funny it's clever it's an absolute blast to watch it's the perfect vehicle for the skills of Alan Tudyk. I remember him from, you know, obviously from uh, Firefly and the movie Serenity, but um, he was in uh, a horror comedy, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which by the way, should really be my next nerd commendation. What a fantastic movie. And exactly like this, sort of weird and funny, but at the same time heartfelt, it's really the, the perfect vehicle for his skills. So this is nerdy worthy from the word go. And naturally, Resident Alien gets my nerdy, Chris. I was so delighted to see this on your list. Now, I haven't watched it yet, but it has been on my radar, kind of permeating, constantly blinking for so long. So um, I, I recently signed up for Peacock, and I think I can stream it on there. So I'm definitely checking this one out. Alan Tudyk is one of my all-time favorites. Um I have not watched, okay, get ready to gasp. I have not watched Firefly or uh, Serenity yet. Boo, boo. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that a Joss Whedon creation? <laughs> it, it is, but it may be his best if you ask me. <laughs> but um, so that gave me pause. Um, but I adore his comedic work particularly as Steve the Pirate from Dodgeball and Underdog Story. <laughs> and here's one that I just recently watched about a year and a half ago, uh, Death at a Funeral, the UK version. Um, he plays like this, he like accidentally takes drugs or something. So he like gets high at a funeral. He disrobes completely and he's sitting naked on the roof while they're having this funeral. It's just it's glorious. Not to mention, he's one of the best parts of Rogue One is the voice for uh, K2SO. And he's coming back in uh, the Cassian Andor series. So uh, I, I cannot wait to check this show out. And uh, I, I adore Alan Tudyk. So this is this is definitely going to be on my to-watch list. Uh, so you're nerdy for uh, Best in Shows. I'm very, uh, very, very thrilled to see you do something a little horror-related, Chris. 
Well, I, I must say that probably the development that I'm most proud of and most thankful for for this show is our pal Jeremy and loyal listener really kind of strong arming uh, me into suggesting the idea to, to get more uh, horror influence, especially, you know, with October approaching at that time. And you were all too happy to scoop that up and turn it into nerd nightmare. Um, but, you know, the, the surprise, surprise, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. So um, so it definitely has kind of reshaped and, and uh, you know, my my viewing capacity and opened a lot of doors to me. And I would not be able to give this uh, nerdy to Lovecraft Country if not for that experience. I would not have checked it out. I would have been intrigued, but like, you know, I'm too much of a chicken to check that out. But I'm so glad that I did because it was far and away the best show. Now, there were a lot of candidates here. WandaVision could have been it, um, but I had a couple of, you know, nitpicks about that one. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was definitely a candidate. But this one I can give without any reservations. It was just absolutely fascinating. And, um, you know, there are a lot of shows kind of like in the same breath of Lovecraft Country that are a real cringe watch that there are, you know, issues uh, regarding race uh, and the civil rights movement uh, and things like that. But they turn into the like a white savior trope. Um, and they're really just uncomfortable. Um, and I'm happy to say that this avoided a lot, if not all of those tropes. It really gave their their black characters agency. Um, and and it, it was just really beautifully done. And that's, you know, in large part to the incredible, incredible acting performances by Jonathan Majors and uh, Journey Smollett. And it's just fascinating. Uh, now, this is based on a novel, which I immediately scooped up and is, is on my to-read list. Um, but Lovecraft Country on HBO Max is definitely, without a doubt, worth the subscription for HBO Max by itself. Um, so if you're a fan of, like, weird, I mean, Lovecraft, um, weird sci-fi monster horror tinge stuff, but like with a compelling story and like really inspiring character work, Lovecraft Country. I know I wax poetic about it for a good probably 20 minutes on my nerd commendation, but it is by far the best show that I've watched in the last year. You know, it, it, it's to my great shame that I have not checked this out yet because A, I love horror and B, I love Journey Smollett. I mean, her performance as Black Canary in Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey was probably my favorite part of that whole movie. And like, they just need to bring her back in that role for another movie or an HBO Max series or something. Like, I'm just, I'm just shot to like number one fan of her work just because of that. So Lovecraft Country has been totally on my radar. I just haven't found the time to watch it yet, but it just looks so fantastic. Yeah, I'll I'll have much more to say on Journey Smollett in a moment. Spoiler alert. All right, Dave, this was a hard one for me because we didn't get a whole lot of content in this arena. What's your best nerd flick? So, you know, the way I see it, nerd flick doesn't necessarily mean Marvel or DC or superhero related or anything like that. You could be a nerd for a lot of different things. And as we've established time and time again, I'm a total nerd for... Well, horror. And so my nerdy winner uh, is actually another one of my previous nerd commendations, the movie Freaky. 
a horror comedy that pokes fun at the slasher genre while also drawing heavy inspiration from Disney's Freaky Friday. This one was probably the most pure joy I had watching a movie this year. And this is a year where I got to see Godzilla and King Kong beat the snot out of each other. So that ought to say how much joy this movie gave me. So Vince Vaughn plays a slasher killer who accidentally swaps body with a teenage girl, Millie, played by Catherine Newton. Now Millie has to race against time to swap back or be stuck forever in the body of a killer. At the same time, said killer is wreaking havoc all across Millie's life. The performance in this <laughs> the performance in this movie are just absolutely fun. The humor lands, the slasher action is on point. It's perfectly tongue in cheek. If you like horror, this is required viewing, especially if you have a history of watching stuff like you know uh, the Halloween series or the Friday the Thirteenth series. You you recognize the the sort of theme, the music that they're playing, so to speak. Um, but it's a wonderful variation on that theme. Pure joy from start to finish and a nerdy winner for sure, Chris. Yeah, I may actually have to check this one out. I'm, I'm not scared of, of horror anymore, and uh, I'm a huge Vince Vaughn fan. I'm also intrigued um, by the uh, you know portrayal or, or the performance of, of Catherine Newton kind of to get myself ready for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania as she is now the new Cassie Lang. So, you know, kind of some preview work there. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think you'll be disappointed with this one. It is just a, it's a crap ton of fun, man. All right, Chris, best nerd flick. What have you got? So as I said, this was really a struggle for me. And um, the one that I'm going to word it to, I just watched uh, in prep for this episode because I've heard so many good things about it. I just watched this a couple of days ago because I made a list of all the, the nerd flicks that I watched over the past year and I could not giving an overwhelming endorsement. Um, I had a heck of a lot of fun as we talked about watching mortal Kombat, but I felt like the Cole young storyline really hamstrung that. And I could not give it to that for that reason. Um, you know, Godzilla versus Kong was a heck of a lot of fun too, but, um, those, those darn humans really ruined that. So, um, I couldn't. I couldn't uh, give a, a ringing endorsement for best nerd flick. There was also something else that came on at HBO Max, but uh, that I can't even remember the name of it. But for me, <laughs> the best nerd flick that I just watched the other day, based on a lot of recommendations that I got from friends, is Dave. It's based on a Greg Rucka book, so like you should love this, man. The Old Guard on Netflix. And we just talked about uh, in the news segment how Netflix always... I I feel like Michael Corleone, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Netflix pulls me back in with stuff like The Old Guard. Now, The Old Guard tells the tale of these immortal warriors who have lived for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they just regenerate. Like, they will die, and then immediately their wounds will heal. Um, and they are like trying to avoid, um, being tracked by the government or corporations that would exploit their DNA. Um, and the cast for this is just top notch. I mean, Charlize Theron, what else can we say about this woman? Like nerds know just how perfect that she is. Um, and she plays Andy, like the kind of the, the boss, like the, the oldest of the immortals, um, and, and she's just, she's such a, a bad A when it comes to action flicks. 
And this is just right in that same vein. Um, another reason this, this movie came on my radar is a lot of people have cast uh, fan cast Kiki Lane, who plays Niall as their their ideal storm for the upcoming, you know, MCU. So that went on my radar and she is very strong here as well. Um, Matthias Schoenarts plays Booker who has like a, a kind of checkered past and backstories. Very think, um, think Tom Hardy in inception, that character. Um, Marwan Kansari was probably my favorite character, kind of a supporting character as Joe Luca Marinelli plays Nikki. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor is always amazing. Um, he's plays Copley. And then Harry Potter fans will recognize Harry Melling. Dudley Dursley himself plays the villainous Merrick. Um, so I, this was just a lot of fun. And I immediately went to Comixology and purchased uh, the collected issues of the Old Guard. Um, Greg Rucka, that's uh, a name that I immediately recognize. So I can't wait to read the books because... This was super action packed and super emotionally like my like edge of your seat suspense. And I absolutely adored it. So the old guard is my best flick uh, for the nerdies this year. And it sounds amazing because you already said the words that mean the most to me right there. And that's Greg and Rucka. <laughs> I cannot believe that this sucker has flown right past me. I did not realize that this was based on Rucka's work. But uh, lo and behold. I'm here for it. Now I want to watch this. Uh, can we wrap this up, Chris? Because I have some Greg Rucka work to look at. <laughs> All right. Now we're getting into a couple of individual performances. Uh, Dave, who's your best actress this year? You know, uh, th this might be uh, almost too expected, but I'm, I'm going to keep it brief because I could, you know, talk about this nonstop. The nerdy to me, for me at least, goes to Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision. I mean, it, it, I don't have enough superlatives to describe her work in the series. She effortlessly transformed her performance in each episode to match a different sitcom era. The skills involved in that performance cannot be overstated. And I knew I would love her performance from episode one. She so very perfectly captured the acting, the rhythm, the cadence of a 1950s sitcom. She started strong and she never quit. Her performance sold me on the entire series. I was there for Elizabeth Olsen. So Elizabeth, the nerdy is yours. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a huge Bewitched fan. So I was immediately hooked and I, I was furious. They did give us, you know, two episodes to begin with, but I was furious when, when we didn't have more because her performance is just that strong. Um, it's, it's just really a, a testament to her uh, craft, to her abilities as an actor to, to be able to convey such a complex character, to give us some of this, the most emotional, resonating, emotionally resonating moments that we've ever had in the MCU. And I can't think of a better way to kind of kick off this new kind of chapter in the MCU, where instead of, you know, big, relying solely on big budget, you know, blockbuster films, you know, we're, we're kind of turning the page and going into these Disney Plus series. And we started off, I think, in, in pitch perfect fashion. And that is wholeheartedly um, on, on her shoulders and that of, of Paul Bettany. And also uh, as Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau, who is an absolute revelation. Yeah, and, and makes you look forward to, uh, you know, the Marvels coming soon. So uh, something to look forward to there. Now, Chris, best actress in your book, who gets the nerdy? 
Dave, you're going to be happy with this choice. Uh, I'm double dipping Journey Smollett in Lovecraft Country as Letitia Effing Lewis, as she would say. Um, it's just a powerhouse performance. It it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Um, you know, just that it's that one of those seminal female lead performances that just stays with you days, months, years after you watch it. You think I every time that I see Journey Smollett on something, I, I think immediately into how her portrayal made me feel. Um, I I then after binging all of Lovecraft Country, I then watched Birds of Prey and it was just like more, more and more of the same. And it was just delightful. And now I just want her to be cast in everything. Bring her to the MCU, please. Kevin Feige, back up the Brinks truck because she's absolutely perfect. And I will fight you for the number one fan spot. Okay, well, uh, I guess we'll, we're going to have our own version of Celebrity Deathmatch and uh, <laughs> get, get some clay figures going and see if we can uh, settle this debate. Yeah, she she's absolutely fantastic, and I, I, I echo wholeheartedly everything you just said. All right, now let's give the dudes some love. Who's your best actor? I, too, am double-dipping, and I'm going to give this one to Vince Vaughn and Freaky. This one was easy. I loved Freaky so much. It wasn't a stretch to say that Vince Vaughn deserved the nerdy for his performance as a teenage girl trapped in the body of a fully grown male serial killer. You know, Vaughn's brand of comedy has never really been a favorite of mine. I enjoy Dodgeball tremendously, but really more for all the characters around him than for Vaughn himself. But here, his comedic timing is perfect. And you know, you gotta love it because he totally commits to the role. I'd argue as a comedian, he's never been better than in Freaky. He's menacing when he needs to be as a slasher. He he does the slasher bit well, sure. But it's really his moments as a teenage girl that steal the show. So kudos, Vince. You won me over. And you totally deserve a nerdy for your performance as a teenager trapped in the body of an aging male serial killer. See, I'm a huge Vince Vaughn fan. Uh, Really, particularly that real stretch that that Apatow type films had in the, the mid two thousands, particularly the breakup for me is one of those heartbreaking, but hilarious comedies. Uh, the dinner scene with, uh, with his brother-in-law where he's doing the acapella version of owner of a lonely heart is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on a screen. Um, and, and just the way that he plays straight the whole time during that dinner scene Oh, man, it's just one of the best. So I'm definitely... Okay, you sold me. I got to check this movie out. Yeah, totally worth your time, man. Can't say it often enough. Now, Chris, who's your best actor? I really like your choice here. Yeah, so I I kind of, you know, went kind of left field here. But Stephen Yoon's portrayal of uh, Mark Grayson Invincible was just one of the most... I, I might get emotional just talking about it. And I thought that I was ready to watch Invincible on Prime. I've watched the whole series; highly recommend it. It was almost um, it was almost my series of the year, best in shows. But um, but Lovecraft Country, I just felt so strongly about it. Um, but what Stephen Yoon was able to do as the protagonist in the face of everything that happens—I'm really trying not to spoil the series. Um, J.K. Simmons. Is like finishes a hair second. So he would have been my other choice for best actor. 
that entire voice cast is just incredible. I I read the first in prep for the show. I read the first uh, four trade paperbacks, and I thought that I was ready, and I was not ready. Um, and yes, Omni Man, you know, does all these things in the story that really just make you feel something, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this happen in a comic or a comic book show before. But it is particularly Stephen Yoon's work here that um, just really just resonate. And, and, and it's something that I think both of us adore about teenage superheroes and this eternal optimism. And in the face of the worst possible thing happening, you still choose to believe in hope and believe in good. And, you know, in the year that we have had, um, with COVID and a worldwide pandemic and a lot of things that have just been really, really crappy. Mark Grayson as a character is just truly inspirational to me. So, and, and, and that is without a doubt because of the, the work of Steven Yoon. Um, and like I said, the entire voice cast from JK Simmons to Sandra O oh as Debbie Grayson, I, I think was an upgrade of the character version, to be honest, at least with what I've read, didn't have a lot of agency. Um, and, but Sandra O oh just brought that character to life in a, just a revolutionary way. Mark Hamill is there as art. I mean, it's, it's just a pitch perfect cast. And Steven Yoon is the crown centerpiece of that cast. You know, to my great shame, I, I have not watched Invincible yet. I will say, however, that I'm deeply familiar uh, with the comic book series. Um, I, I think it's actually far superior to Robert Kirkman's other very well-known work, The Walking Dead. It's probably one of my all-time favorite series, period. So it, it's kind of regrettable I haven't had a chance to check out the the cartoon yet. However, I can totally see why Stephen Yoon would be uh, the recipient of your nerdy. Uh, he, he's absolutely inspired casting. I can totally see him pulling off uh, this character. Um, and, I, and I can't wait to check out the series, Chris. Yeah, for sure. And and as you know, The Walking Dead, at least the first time around, just wasn't my cup of tea. Now that I'm, you know, uh, more into horror, uh, more open minded about it, maybe I'll revisit it. Um, so I'm not very familiar with his work, but I completely just immediately won me over right away. All right, Dave. So this category, I think we had a little bit of a mix up in best streaming content. Um I was thinking like what app, you know, as far as, far as streaming wars, uh, which app has the best content so you can kind of pick and choose because it's hard to have them all. Um, but we also kind of went in a different direction as what was like the best streaming surprise programming wise. Okay, so I, I will actually go against the grain in a time period where there's so many different uh, streaming platforms. I'm going to still hand it to Netflix. Um, I think Netflix has, has delivered a lot of really good content from, you know, the, the last season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 to the, the continued survival of Lucifer, an absolutely fun 
show that that uh, actually is getting ready to premiere the second half of its fifth season, I believe, and it's still going to get a sixth season, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Oh, oh God, dis- I thought they were ending with five. Oh, yay. Oh, they were supposed to, and then they did a last-minute announcement that they're going to give it another, uh, I think, eight episodes uh, to, to, you know, to, to go a little further with their story, which I think is absolutely fantastic. It's so rare that Netflix uh, actually renews a series, surprisingly, rather than cutting it short so hence my surprise (laughs) yeah so i'll I'll totally take this as a victory but the surprise that i came across on netflix that i liked the most was probably a show called evil uh this show originally airs on cbs but you know as usually goes i i really stick with streaming platforms predominantly so the show is about dr uh kristen bouchard a psychologist primarily employed by the queen's da's office and uh, she falls in with a um, priest uh, in training, uh, David Acosta, who's played by Mike Coulter uh, of Luke Cage fame. Uh, he's a professional assessor. His job is basically to look at claims of stuff like demonic possession, miracles and the like, and assess whether those claims have validity. And uh, she ends up actually working for him, uh, sort of trying to debunk some of the claims that come across his desk. This show is so super creepy. It keeps you guessing. It deals with complex matters of faith, what it all means. A lot of the stuff that happens in the show is gloriously ambiguous and open to interpretation. It made my horror-loving heart beat faster. So between, you know, discovering evil, uh, between the continued existence of Lucifer... Uh, and those final episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000, I think Netflix still gets my vote as the streaming platform to watch. The nerdy is yours, Netflix. Now use your powers for good and not (laughs) evil, okay? So as far as, uh, for me, the streaming content surprises that I was... I'm right there with you. The MST3K, uh, the last episodes on Netflix, I go back to... like It's uh, something I'll put on the TV to help me you know, just relax and feel good. There was also a couple on Prime uh, video that I was able to find the the throwback issues. Now, Netflix used to have some old uh, MST3K uh, collections that they have now done away with, so that that hurts. But there's a couple on Prime video that, uh, you know, Santa Claus Invades the Martians is on there. Um, there's one that's my particularly favorite episode I've ever seen is this weird kind of indie film of like this kind of Bigfoot in Arkansas. I can't remember the name of it, but it's just hilarious how horrible the movie is. But as far as what offers the best bang for buck streaming content, I'm going to give it to D- uh, Disney Plus. You know, for the sole, you know, sake of of shows like WandaVision um, and The Mandalorian and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, just appointment television every Friday you got to be there or you're going to like risk spoilers and, you know, like fan theories having to wait. Um, I mean, for God's sake, we had people swearing up and down that freaking Mephisto was going to show up in a television series. Literally, the devil was going to show up in a Disney Plus series. That's how crazy the fan theories went. And just all the speculation and 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 it was just so much fun. Um I am enjoying uh, the Bad Batch as well. I, I know that I had you know my reservations about going back to the same time period, but it, it's interesting enough, you know. And and with regular content, I'm I'm really happy with my Disney Plus subscription. And you know, uh, 
I can totally see why Disney Plus would deserve this. They came sort of out of nowhere. They've done really, really great original uh, shows, a lot of good original content. And they did bring something back that really Netflix should be considering as well. I, I totally, totally miss you know, having the, the breaks between episodes for a week and the, the possibility for discourse and speculation that, you know, the, the bulk content drops of Netflix just don't allow for. So although, you know, Netflix kind of edged it out for me this time, I do think that there's a lot of good stuff going on with Disney+. Plus, uh, and I think Netflix can uh, learn a thing or two from the house that the mouse built. <laughs> For sure. All right. We have come to our final two awards and we're heading back to uh, the world of comics, I guess. Um, But um, we're going with writer of the year and artist of the year. Dave, first up, this is no surprise. This was probably the easiest one for you to award. Who is your writer of the year? I I do pray at the altar of N.K. Jemisin. The best DC, DC comic book by far this year was Far Sector, period. Come at me. I'll fight you. It's the best book that DC has put out. Huge credit for this amazing book goes to writer N.K. Jemison. It makes total sense that she should win a nerdy for her work. Far Sector tells the story of a new Green Lantern, Joe Mullen, as she learns the ropes of her unique ring and navigates the political and social powder keg of the city enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent until now. You know, Joe Mullen has almost instantly become my favorite Green Lantern character. The world of the city enduring is complex and fascinating. The writing is whip-smart and totally captivating. Big credit also goes to Jamal Campbell's art here. Far Sector is just such a banger of a book. The best DC has to offer right now. You know, the book is getting ready to come to an end with its final issue, issue 12. And as far as I'm concerned, DC needs to get a big trash bag full of cash and just deposit that at N.K. Jemison's door and ask her to continue writing this character because it is the best thing that DC has produced in the last 12 months, Chris. Well, <laughs> I totally agree with your uh, award here. And I have been lighting incense and candles and, you know, repeating my mantras in hopes that N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell would come over to the other side and write a storm solo. So uh, she's like the best in the biz, especially when it comes to like terms of sci-fi, like, well, and, and that's her background. So she knows what she's doing and, and having uh, a writer with those kind of chops behind a character uh, that I love like Storm would just be a dream come true. And Jamal Campbell's art to boot, like it, it's just like the perfect dream team. And I, I will say DC better not screw this one up because uh, we'll be waiting at the Marvel squad. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you for this one, Chris. <laughs> you may not have her. <laughs> All right, Chris, who is your writer of the year? Um, so I previously kind of shed a tear for this one, but um, one of my favorite books of the past year, X Factor, was unceremoniously canceled with an announcement of a new book. Now, Leah Williams is taking on the trial of Magneto, but her book, uh, her her run on X Factor is coming to a close with just the 10th issue. Um, It's sold very well, um, and it's one of 
it's it's almost my book for like a little book that could little comic that could, but like it's, it's bigger than that. Um, it's, and I've previously nerd commended it. It's basically like, like a CSI in the Marvel world of, you know, why are these people dying? They're investigating burgers. Um, so it's just really a fascinating book. And I think like the strongest, um, you know, endorsement I can give to a writer is they make you care about characters and they make you invest in characters, especially ones that you have little to no previous experience with, or you don't really care for previously. And the work that she has done with this roster of, of mutants that, um, that fit those monic- that fit those categories. I either didn't know them previously or didn't really care for them. I am now like, uh, a huge fan of uh, of North Star. Um, you know, I, I added his marriage and relationship with Kyle as one of the three best in comics. I mean, like that just doesn't happen. And that's, you know, primarily due to, to her work on the title. So, um, you know, Polaris, you know, has been a household name for quite some time, but she does great work with her prodigy, uh, is just a fascinating character that I had no previous experience with. Uh, uh, Akihiro, the son of Wolverine, has has been one of the most interesting revelations of a character that I've seen. A character that I really didn't care for. It was just like Wolverine light. It was just his kid, you know. So that wasn't really. But he's fascinating in this title, and and to see it come to an end is just heartbreaking. But um, she also does work on, 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 on a book that got previously canceled, unfortunately, on The Amazing Mary Jane. That was really fun and kind of off the beaten path type of title. Um, so she will be writing The Trial of Magneto, one of my all-time favorite characters in all of comics. So I'm definitely picking that one up. But thank you to Leah Williams for your work on X-Factor. Uh, and she is my writer of the year. And this book does sound really good. And I've seen a lot of upset across social media uh, that, that you know, X Factor was canceled. It's so regrettable when a series gets cut short, um, especially when a, a reason is not readily apparent. So, you know, kudos uh, to Leah Williams for her fantastic work on X Factor. Yeah. And, and there's been a lot of, you know, kind of speculation. It uh, it's it's no surprise or it's no secret that uh, a lot of mutant fans flock to those titles because uh, they believe that mutants are coded as black characters or coded as queer characters, um, and the subtext is very very uh, strong um, for for queer characters. and And I've always and I've always kind of flocked to creators. Um, you know, Leah Williams herself being a bisexual woman, like, like have a different backstory than me that can tell stories that I can't or like enlighten me on experiences that I could never have. And so this book was really kind of pushing the boundaries, you know, with with, uh, you know, like trans storylines and for it to be unceremoniously canceled like that. I think that we're was a lot of like the uproar and the, the, the hurt feelings on, on social media. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, all right, Dave, final category, the final nerdy of the night slash day depends on when you're listening, but we're recording at night. Uh, Dave, who is your artist of the year? So I recently reviewed the science fiction graphic novel, black star for the nerd daily.com. 
And it is the debut graphic novel by writer Eric Glover, who almost got my nerdy for writer of the year. I want to give a nerdy to the artist here, Ariel Jovellanos. Uh, so scientist Hopper North is a woman on a mission to travel to the planet Helios with a small team to recover an alien flower. The plant holds the key to curing cancer. Her ship uh, is caught in an asteroid storm and crashes on Helios. North survives and has to brave 100 kilometers of alien wilderness to reach a reserve shuttle fit for one passenger. She's shocked to discover she's not the only survivor of the crash. The team's wilderness expert, Sam Parrish, is also making her, her way toward the shuttle. The race is on to see who can reach the shuttle first and who will be left behind to die in the inhospitable summer of Ilios. Jovellanos is absolutely fantastic. Her art is expressive. Uh, it manages to go long stretches without dialogue and still perfectly conveys the emotion. Her work came out of nowhere for me and instantly hooked me. I cannot wait to see what she does next. She is definitely an artist to watch. I hope she gets all the work uh, that she could ever ask for. Uh, she's so much fun. Yeah, I'm super excited. I I, um, I ordered this one and it came in and even just the cover and and the first few pages that I've read, it's beautifully atmospheric and it like almost like you feel like your your the oxygen in your lungs is seizing up because you feel like you're living through that. And I think that's the testament to any true artist is like they make you feel like you're in that world. Yeah, and she does a fantastic job at that, Chris. All right, now who is your artist of the year, Chris? <clears throat> um, this artist really has really captured my imagination and it's really interesting we've talked quite a bit about horror tonight but um the inflections of horror in his art is is undeniable um my artist of the year has got to be pat gleason on amazing spider-man particularly uh the last remains storylines and arcs um with kindred it's just the way that he draws that character with like those centipedes coming off of him and like the bandages it's just absolutely horrifying in the best possible way. Um, it's really just a game changer. I also love the way that he draws Spidey in costume with those large eyes. That was one of my favorite things about, you know, individuals like Todd McFarlane and, and uh, Eric Larson in the 90s, those oversized Spidey eyes into like, you know, even Ultimate Spider-Man by Bagley. Love, I love the big eyes. I don't know what it is. It's maybe it's like the long ears for Batman, uh, the big eyes for Spidey. Um, but again, Pat Gleason is really changing the game. Um, really came on strong. I know that he's worked uh, quite a while at DC, and so we're happy to have him um, on on uh, the ASM team. But um, I, I'm <clears throat> I'm against the grain, and I think you are too, Dave. When it comes to the Dick Spencer run. I thought it was a very much needed breath of fresh air. All respect to Dan Slott, but it was a very much needed breath of fresh air on the title. And I, uh, it's a slow burn, but for Pete's sake, we get two titles a month from Amazing Spider-Man. So I think I think Spider-Man fans are being a little bit spoiled here. Um, and, and I'm loving everything that comes out of ASM. You know, I'm enjoying it a lot too. And I've been a Patrick Gleason fan for a hot second. As you mentioned, he spent some time at DC, which is where I usually hang my hat, generally speaking, and I've loved his work there. Um, so yeah, I can totally see why his work on Amazing Spider-Man deserves a nerdy. And that's it. That's all, folks. Uh, our nerdies have been handed out. What are your suggestions? What... Uh... What pieces of media are award-worthy in your opinions? Be sure to fire off at us. 
uh, Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord on our post for your awards for this year. Uh, stick around after this, our final break. We're going to hit you with our patented nerd commendations. Episode 52 travels on. All right, it is time to wrap up this wonderful ceremony. And here we are with more nerd commendations. Dave, what do you have for us this week? Uh, so I'm just going to tell you that I'm a nerd for many things. One of those things uh, is thrillers. Uh, so HBO Max strikes again with a movie that was released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. And this time it's Those Who Wish Me Dead, starring Angelina Jolie and John Bernthal. Still reeling from the loss of three lives, Hannah is a smoke jumper who's perched in a watchtower high above the Montana wilderness. She soon encounters Connor, a skittish boy who's bloodied, traumatized, and on the run in the remote forest. As Hannah tries to bring him to safety, she's unaware of the real dangers to follow. Two relentless killers hunting Connor and a fiery blaze consuming everything in its path. Now, I'm a nerd for a good thriller, and I was quote-unquote thrilled to watch this one on HBO Max. I ended up really enjoying it. Now, it's not the greatest thriller ever made or anything, but it is totally worth your time. Jolie turns in a great performance here. The story twists and turns quite well. The child actor is actually really good, too. And the ending lands with a strong climax. So I cannot deny that this was a fun thriller. It's nice to see Tomb Raider herself, Angelina Jolie, still thrill when she steps in front of a camera, Chris. Yeah, and it's really fascinating to me... Um what Angelina Jolie can do in a performance, because I, I really think that she brings like this gravitas on the screen, um, this presence that even elevates um, like a poorer quality script or, or like a poorer supporting cast. I mean, like she was really, really good as Laura Croft Tomb Raider as, as regrettable as some of the script and storylines and plots were. Um, and, and I really am excited. I, I, I remember her being in changeling was a really just fascinating uh, film to watch so uh, this kind of made me think of that when i saw this and we had i at least for me we had a dark horse contender for streaming content because hbo max really hit the ground running with these same day releases now the creators directors may have been a little bit peeved about it but uh for us as consumers it was a home run yeah i can totally agree with that chris now what are you nerd commending this week I'm going a little bit off the beaten path. I'm a big fan of Ubisoft Connect. So this um, is a reward service, uh, a reward system that was initially launched as Uplay with Assassin's Creed 2 in 2009, but they rebranded it last year in 2020 as Ubisoft Connect. And it's a reward system for playing games that are under the Ubisoft brand name, that umbrella of games. It offers exclusive in-game content, mainly in the form of cosmetic upgrades like outfits or character customizations. For example, in Immortals Phoenix Rising, you get a special beard. Um, so, however, in some cases, it does offer rewards that provide both a strategic advantage, like really nice weaponry. Um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla has some nice weapons that you can unlock through this feature. Um, the Division 1 and 2 games as well and additional gameplay and bonus quests or mission. Valhalla has um, a, a mission arc that you can only achieve through this uh, service. Um, as a massive Assassin's Creed fan, this was a must-add from the App Store, 
It also introduces you to additional games from Ubisoft you may not have been aware of beforehand. For me, I had no idea about Immortals Phoenix Rising until I logged onto this service and saw it was there. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting and intriguing. Fell in love with that game. Uh, the Division games from Tom Clancy 1 and 2 were also a similar situation where I was like, oh, it's made by Ubisoft. Maybe it's interesting. And I loved both of those games as well. Uh, part of the rebranding last year was to make an easy-to-use app for the for phones. And it's much easier to track um, as far as rewards and challenges go on your phone. Like if you're playing, you got your controller, and then you pause the game and you pick up. Um, you can easily claim rewards and it automatically uploads into your game. Sometimes you don't even have to restart. Um, they have weekly challenges that help you um, stay playing even after you finish the campaign. Um, and then it does provide you with a profile and networking options to find other players if on if online multiplayer is your bag. So, you know, with exclusive rewards for games that you're going to play anyway, um, Ubisoft Connect is, is a really easy free addition um, to your app store. And, and I have a lot of fun playing with it. Now, I'm just going to say that uh, I'm shocked that uh, you almost convinced me here to actually use Ubisoft Connect because to me... Uh, so far, at least, it's always been this service that, uh, you know, pops up that I should log in every time I try to play a Ubisoft game. And I just kind of click it away real fast because it's <laughs> annoying me. But there actually seems to be a little bit something to it. So I might actually have to check this one out, Chris. Yeah. Um, and I think the Far Cry games are under that umbrella as well. So I think you nerd commended Far Cry Primal. And I think there are some rewards in that game as well. Oh, very nice. All right. That wraps up our 52nd episode. One year. It's been a year. I guess we're going for the new 52 now, Dave. I think the time has come. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And again, be sure to hit us up with your nerdy um, awards on social media at NerdByWord on both Instagram and Twitter. And if you like what you just heard, please be sure to uh, give us a uh, review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. We are, of course, available wherever podcasts can be found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, and of course, our very own website, nerdbyword.com. And we have some very exciting content coming up for you in the next few weeks. If you have ideas for episodes, be sure to chime in as well. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. <laughs>